Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Let me pray for us now. We're going to begin. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity now to gather, to study, to sing, Lord, to hear about how the Gideons are at work, Father. And we, uh, Lord, understand this is such a, a glorious opportunity for us every week, Lord, to fellowship and now to hear from you, from your word. And so I, I pray you would just speak very clearly to us through the power of your word, Father. Uh, use us to do great things, and may we be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, there's a black hardbound book in the seat in front of where you're sitting. Take that out. Open to 1003. Page 1003. That's Hebrews chapter 5. Just a quick reminder as you're finding that. We have a team currently in Central Asia. I mentioned this to you last week in a very difficult place, a very difficult closed country. Uh, where the name of Jesus is uh, not proclaimed readily. In fact, it's illegal to do so. We have a team on the ground right now doing just that. And so uh, if you would join with me over this week, especially praying for them, praying for their safety, of course, and that they would return safely, but also that the Lord would use them to do great things and that maybe this would be the beginning uh, of a partnership in that place. And we can send back numerous teams for the sake of his kingdom uh, to share the glory of Christ. We are continuing our study this morning. We've entitled Greater. It's a study in Hebrews. We're going verse by verse to understand the greatness of Christ, to understand his goodness, to understand his power. And I just thought this week, uh, some of you may have noticed on our little video intro there, we changed some of the words. Uh, I want you to know that Jesus is greater than all the things we struggle with in this world currently. Did you know that? Jesus is greater than politics. Did you know that? Nobody knows that? Okay, good, good. Wake up, wake up. I know it's early. It's early. Thanks for being here on time, by the way. Those that miss will be here at 11, thinking they're here at 945. That's okay. We'll welcome them as well. Jesus is greater than politics. Uh, Jesus is greater than pop culture. Jesus is greater. I'm thinking about this team that's on the ground now. Jesus is greater than oppressive governments that will not let the name of Jesus be made known. Jesus is greater than fear. Jesus is greater than anxiety. And praise the Lord, Jesus is greater than coronavirus, right? I'm still going to shake your hand. If you tell me not to, I'm going to shake. If you tell me not to, I'm going to give you a big bear hug. No, I wouldn't do that to you. But we, we know that Jesus is greater. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. And we just be, need to be reminded sometimes. I and mean, if you're not careful, you pull up the internet, you read for 10 minutes, and it feels like the world's about to die, right? We're all going to die. A comet's going to crash in. We're going to have a virus, a war, a nuclear, whatever. We need to be reminded sometimes just to kind of relax, be still, and know that He is God. And remember, Jesus is greater. And so we're going to continue our study this morning with with a warning and with an encouragement. I want to jump right in because we've got a lot to cover this morning. Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 11, work our way through about half of chapter 6. We have it on the screen for you to follow along as well. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. About this, we have much to say. Now he's talking about verses 
8, 9, and 10. I'm going to come back to those in just a minute, okay? About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Some of you aren't listening. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Therefore, right, because of what he's just said, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now, if we were going to kind of summarize what we're talking about in these first few verses, we could find it in chapter 6, verse 1. I want you to listen to these words again. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. If you're taking notes this morning, you ought to underline verse 1. And it gives us the, the basis of our first truth this morning. Point number one, we should be moving toward spiritual maturity. We should be moving toward spiritual maturity. Now, I know this might sound obvious to some. It may, may, may be a, a brand new concept for others. But your growth in Christ should, over time, have kind of this upward track, Right? Slowly but surely, you should be growing in your walk, deepening your faith, growing in your love and understanding of Jesus Christ, right? If you kind of graft it over time, it would be up. Now, there'd be some downs, there'd be some plateaus, but constantly over time, you would see that your walk with Christ is growing. We should be moving toward spiritual maturity. Now, these people at this point at least are struggling with this. And he's referencing verses 8 through 10 of chapter 5. So I'm just going to read that to you to kind of help you understand what he's talking about here. He's speaking of Jesus in verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now we're going to think some more in just a couple weeks about Melchizedek. He's a very interesting Old Testament character. But then verse 11 of chapter 5 says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. Why? Because you've become dull of hearing, right? So here's what the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand. Listen, there is a depth to scripture. There is a depth to Jesus. There is a depth to the history of who he is, how that includes Melchizedek in this particular verse. There's a depth to the things of the Lord that the writer of Hebrew wants to explain to so many, but too many are dull of hearing. They're spiritually immature and they can't understand the truth. So we kind of translate that to modern terms. There are things about Christ we ought to be learning and understanding, but far too many people are spiritually immature and they can't understand what it means. All right, so one writer said it like this, speaking of the phrase dull of hearing, which we see right there in the scripture in verse 11. He says it usually is, means a culpable negligence in some aspect of life, a reluctance to listen. Right? There's this idea we're dull of hearing because we just don't want to pay attention. 
We're dull of hearing because we just don't want to listen. We're, we're dull of hearing because we just don't think it's important enough to do. And so the writer here of Hebrews warns us there's great danger in spiritual immaturity. Now I want you to look at verse 14 again. Pull verse 14 up for me if you would please. I want you to see it because it's very interesting what happens here. There's something important we need to understand about being spiritually immature. There's a warning flag. You know, I've, I've talked before about the warning flags, the red flags in the book of Hebrews. This is another warning, right? But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, here's the thing. If you're spiritually immature, one of the problems you're going to have is you can't distinguish, you can't discern between good and evil. Now, now most of us would probably understand there's some pretty bad things in this world. We could probably think about murder and crimes, and, and we get all that, right? And, and most Christians understand those things are wrong. And so with the bigger picture stuff, we can discern between the good and evil, right? I've never murdered, so I'm good. Somebody that's murdered is evil. We, we kind of make that correlation, at least in our mind. We understand the distinction. The problem for us is when we come down to the subtler things of life, the smaller, simpler, day-to-day kind of things, if we're not growing in our faith, if we haven't been trained by constant practice, we're not going to be able to distinguish between what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. So we know that murder is wrong, but maybe we're not quite sure if we should lie to our boss about what we did last week while he wasn't at work. We understand that certain crimes are wrong and there are certain big things that are evil, but maybe we're not quite certain if we should do things right at home with our families, if we should treat our spouse correctly. We're not quite sure. We're not quite sure how to deal with that client because we know we can make a little bit more money if we change the numbers just a little bit. So we, we know the big picture stuff, but if we're not growing in our faith, we can't distinguish the small stuff between the good and the evil, the right and the wrong. And so the writer of Hebrews here is warning us, listen, be careful. There's a lot more to the faith than you know. There's a depth to your understanding. There's a depth to your walk that you're never going to receive unless you're actually growing in your faith. Right? Some of you, it says, ought to be teachers. Now, I'm not going to do a show of hands here, but I just wonder in this room alone, how many of us have been a believer more than 10 years? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you know who you are. Like if, you, if you've been a Christian more than 10 years, there, there ought to come this place in your life where you probably have learned enough that at least on some level you can be imparting that information to somebody else. Like the Bible says some of you should be teachers, some of you ought to be eating this solid food, but instead you're just too busy drinking milk. Right? The idea of a baby, you have to feed a baby a bottle, you have to feed the baby milk. As we get older, we become mature and we kind of find food ourselves. We understand that. But I want you to notice how verse 14 kind of encourages us here, right? So how do we grow in our faith? We think, okay, there's a danger in being spiritually immature. I'm not going to be able to discern between good and evil. I'm not going to understand what that means. What do I need to do to grow in my faith? Look at what it says verse 14 right here. Solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment, there it is, trained by constant practice. Pretty straightforward, isn't it, right? If you want to grow in your faith, there's this idea of training through constant practice. 
Right? It's not a one-time deal, right? There's not this magic spiritual pill that you'll swallow and tomorrow you'll be the most uh, important or the, the depth of your theology will grow to this point beyond anybody's comprehension. It's not like that. It's not a pill you can swallow. There's not some magic wand we can wave. There's this idea of constant practice being trained in righteousness over and over and over and over again, right? It's not rocket science, but it does require constant training on and on and on and on and on. When I was in high school, I decided uh, about my ninth, 10th grade year that I wanted to play tennis. I'd never played tennis before. I thought it'd be a fun sport. I had some buddies that played tennis. And so I was fortunate enough to be friends with the number one seed at Troop High School at that point. His name was Michael. Michael was a really good player, and Michael and I were really good friends. And so I would go out over the summer. I decided to learn all that summer, and I would start playing. I played with Michael just about every night. And we'd go play tennis. Now, this guy, you have to understand, he, he's really an angel to do this because if you know anything about tennis, if you're pretty decent at tennis, it's not real fun to play with somebody who's not. Because if you're decent at tennis, you want to be able to hit the ball and, and rally back and forth. And the person that's not is going to hit it into the net or over the fence every time, and it's kind of boring, right? So he was an angel to play with me. But you can imagine as good as he was and as bad as I was, what happened every single night? He just thumped me, right? He just hammered me every single night. I lost and I lost and I lost and I lost. But I played and I kept going back. I was constant. I was consistent. I continued to practice, continued to train. And I went on to play for Troop High School. I went on to win four straight national championships. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I wasn't that good. I didn't do that. Not that good of a story, right? But I did end up playing for Troop, went on, played in college. Why? Because I worked really hard and trained. It didn't happen overnight. It constant, regular, ongoing training, right? There, there's this idea in Scripture that as followers of Jesus, we should be training ourselves on a regular basis in order to grow in our faith, in order to distinguish between things that are good and things that are evil. And so if this is news to you, you've never heard anything like this, chances are you're not really growing in your faith. And that's okay because this is what we want to do this morning is help you understand better how to do that. Maybe you say, man, I've never even considered that. I accepted Jesus years ago and I come to church, but I've never quite understood that there's a process or the things that I can be doing on a regular basis to grow in my faith. And so, Adam, help me understand how I can better grow in my faith. So I'm going to give you several things on the screen. I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm giving you things you've probably heard before, but I'm going to challenge you in some areas and give you some very practical things you can do to begin or maybe continue growing your faith. Here's the first thing on the screen. First of all, just decide you're going to do something about it. It really just starts there. We can talk about it all day long. We can talk about it in our Sunday school classes. Uh, we can have conversations and think and desire and have good intentions. But until we actually start doing something about it, we're not going to grow in our faith. And so the idea is I'm just going to kind of decide I'm going to do this. I'm going to schedule times to do whatever, scripture reading or study or memorization or read a book about whatever. I'm going to make it a priority. Maybe I'm going to find somebody to hold me accountable. But I'm going to make this decision to do this then I'm just going to do it. Here's the second thing you do. Why don't you dive into deeper theology? Right? The kind of trendy thing in, in church growth especially and, and with pastors right now is to say to them, listen, don't use churchy words. Don't use complicated theology. Don't say things that, that people won't necessarily understand. And, and I get that. I don't want to be a dry, boring 
pastor and say words that nobody ever understands. But I think we've kind of gone in, in so far in that direction that we oftentimes watered things down so much that we're fearful of using any type of a complicated word, fearful that nobody will even understand what we're talking about. And I think sometimes we, we need to be willing to dive into deeper theology. Right? Read a book on, you know, you know there are books on theology. Did you, did you know that? There are all kinds of theological books. I'm happy to let you borrow one if you're interested. I'm happy to meet with you and talk about theology. I think it's very interesting. But if you've never kind of delved into that world, if you're just kind of skimming the surface and you've never really thought through anything uh, more than just maybe coming to church on Sunday morning, why don't you just try it out for once? Just dive into it. Just see what you can learn about the Lord and, and, and Christ and all he's done for us. Here's the third thing. Don't wait on others to feed you. Go get it yourself. It's a big problem for a lot of believers. Right? You show up at church, we're, praise the Lord, we're glad you're here. But you show up to church and your mind says, I'm going to let the pastor teach me something. Uh, if I go to Sunday school or small group, I'm, I'm going to let my small group teacher teach me something. And then once I get home, I'm done learning. That's it for me. That's it. Like I gave it two hours on Sunday morning and I'm done, nothing else for the rest of the week. What, what about going and kind of getting this yourself, right? The idea of milk and solid food that the writer of Hebrews explains to us, right? A baby has to have somebody feed it, put milk in the bottle, feed, hold the bottle oftentimes. We understand how that works. None of y'all, I promise, and I'll, I'll test it out this afternoon, I promise you, none of y'all at two o'clock in the afternoon are still going to be sitting in this seat waiting for somebody to bring you lunch, I promise, when I come back through and turn lights off, nobody will still be in here going, who's going to bring me lunch? Why? Because when you get hungry, what do you do? You get in your car and you go find food. Why? Because you're an adult. You're grown up. You understand how that works. It's silly for us to think about somebody bringing us lunch and us not going and getting it ourselves. And yet we do the same thing with Scripture. Like if somebody's not feeding me constantly, I'm not learning. Man, go get it yourself. Just decide, this is important for me. It's not easy, necessarily. It's not something I would normally do, but I'm going to kind of decide to do it. I'm going to delve into something a little deeper than I've done before. I'm not going to wait on somebody to give it to me. I'm going to go get it myself. Here's something else you do, number four. Why don't you teach somebody else? I, I can tell you from personal experience, and those of you in this room that have taught before will tell you the same thing. You don't ever truly know it until you teach it. And if you have to stand in front of a group of people and explain things to them, you better understand it. Because if you don't, it's going to get real confusing in a hurry. And so maybe you challenge yourself with something. Maybe you're going to learn something new and you've decided, hey, I really want to work on this and learn it and understand it. Why don't you decide to teach somebody about it? Maybe you could do deep roots class. Maybe the Lord leads you to teach a Sunday school class. You say, that's, that's too much of a commitment for me. I, I don't want to quite go that far. Then just go to your small group leader and say, listen, I'd like to teach once a month or once a quarter or sometime in the middle of next year. I want to teach. But just set something up and challenge yourself to teach somebody else the things you're learning because you don't ever fully know it until you've taught it. And then the last thing you can do, very simply, just be consistent. Right, if you decide to do it, and you're working hard to study and learn and understand, make that an ongoing practice. Right? We, we all know the people that have gotten really excited about something and kind of burned out. I'm not going to ask a show of hands, but I bet a lot of y'all started the year on a diet and a weight training plan, and you went to the gym and exercised a bunch the first month. You're probably not doing it as much anymore, right? Me too, I get it. It's very easy to start fast very easy to get excited about something and go 90 miles an hour for the first several weeks and then eventually burn out. It's not always how you start. A lot of times it's more about how you finish. 
And so if you decide to do it, just be consistent about it. Just find a time. I say this very often, but be intentional in what you do. Slow and steady wins the race. You don't have to be a mar- you don't have to be a sprinter. It's more of a marathon anyway, right? A little at a time, slow and steady, be consistent, right? There should be this onward, upward growth of spiritual maturity in our life. Now watch, there's a warning. Look at verse 4. Let's continue. For it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be Burned. Here's the second truth I want you to see. Right? There's this ongoing idea of spiritual maturity. Truth number two, we are warned against a false faith. We are warned against a false faith. Now, this is a very difficult portion of Scripture, and I, and I hope as we teach through this, you end up thinking it's not all that complicated. If so, maybe I've done a good job of, of kind of giving this to you, but this is a very difficult portion to teach. In fact, one writer, I was reading one of the commentaries. I read a lot of commentaries every week, and one of the writers said this. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, what I just read, is considered by many to be the most difficult interpretive passage in all the book of Hebrews, and some would say in the entire New Testament. You say, why is it so difficult? Because the problem is that it seems as if there's a group of people here in these verses that have been saved and then have lost their salvation. At first glance, we would read about these people that have heard and tasted and then fallen away and have been saved and then lost their salvation. So I want to kind of explain this in two different ways to you. We're going to walk through this together. The first thing I want you to understand is that we would teach and I would affirm and believe that you cannot lose your salvation. Like I would say to you, if you've ever, if you've truly accepted Jesus, followed him as your Lord and Savior, you're not going to lose your salvation, right? So let's kind of think through that first together. There are lots of verses of scripture that teach us. I'm going to give them to you very quickly, read through them. You go back on your own later and study them if you want. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 37, these are the words of Jesus, John 6, 37 and follow. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to lose any that the Lord has given to me. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 27. Again, Jesus, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there, there are numerous passages of Scripture that teach us we cannot lose our salvation. 
So if we can't lose our salvation, then what are we talking about in verses 4, 5, and 6? People that have been enlightened, that have tasted the goodness, that have seen the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. Well, there's a big clue in verses 1, 3, and 4. And so I've got a screen that kind of shows those verses together. I want you to notice this, right? This is where the specifics of Scripture matter. And a lot of times we read scripture and maybe even study it, and we just kind of glaze over the details. This is why it matters to really focus and pay attention and understand and actually see the words for what they mean. I want you to notice what happens in verse 1. The writer of Hebrews, speaking to Christians, says, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and grow into maturity. Right? Us. Verse 4, And this we will do if God permits. So there's this idea of we and us, right? These are the believers. These are the people that are already saved, leave the elementary doctrine and go on to maturity, right? That's the believers that he's writing to. But look at verse four, it changes. For it is impossible in the case of, what's the word? Those who've once been enlightened, so on and so forth. So there's two different groups here, right? There's a group of people that have been Christians, that have been saved, that have trusted in the Lord. That's verses 1 and 3, the us and the we. Verse 4 is a different group of people, those people that are not believers. Now I want you to notice how those people are categorized. I want you to notice how they're discussed because these are people that appear to have been saved but aren't really. Okay, now I'm, I'm going to... Drop this in your lap in just a minute, okay? So go ahead and get ready for it. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Pull that, but yeah, there you go. This is very interesting because it talks about these people who have been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, right? These are people that have seen the goodness of the Lord. They've seen his power. Maybe they've even seen and experienced his grace in their life, right? Continues in verse 4. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. So they understand the Holy Spirit. They've seen the Holy Spirit at work. Maybe the Holy Spirit has even worked in the life of the people that they love and maybe even in their life. Verse 5, they've tasted the goodness of the Word, right? They've been taught the truth. Maybe they sat under teaching. Maybe they sat under preaching. But they understand God's Word. They understand God's Word is good. Now here, here's the concern, right? Here's where the, the rubber really meets the road for us. We're talking now about people that have heard the truth, they know about Jesus, they've seen him at work, they've seen the spirit at work, they've experienced the grace of God, they listen to his word being preached and taught. Many of them have probably grown up in the church or around believers. Here's the concern. These verses could be describing any of us. Now I want that just to sink in just for a second, okay? Just let that just kind of let that sink in. This is a warning written to people that maybe think they're Christians or have kind of played the game or have grown up in church or have seen the goodness of the Lord all around them, but they've never truly repented. They've never truly followed Christ as their Lord and Savior. Right? Billy Graham said years ago, and, and I don't, I'm not saying he's right, I'm just saying it's an interesting quote. He said years ago that he believed between 70 and 80% of the people that attended church regularly in America were not Christians. 70 to 80%. I'm not saying he's right, I'm just saying it's interesting to think about those numbers. Right? Is it possible that there are people that attend church on a regular basis that are not believers? Absolutely it is. This verse is a key indicator. 
And so we kind of have our eyes open to this. We're, we're mindful of this. We're very careful to make sure we understand what's going on here. Now I want you to notice what happens here. Verse 4 says it's impossible, and you skip down to verse 6, to restore them again to repentance. In other words, for the person that has kind of lived like this and kind of faked it or pretended or maybe thought one way and then actually lived another, it's impossible for them to be restored to repentance. Here's the, the bottom line for us. As followers of Christ or as people that have attended church all of our life, we need to, on a, a very regular basis, very clearly examine our salvation to make sure it's real. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to convince you of something. I'm not trying to tell you you're not a Christian. That's between you and the Lord. I'm simply saying to you, we've come to this text that says there are people that have been enlightened, that have tasted the heavenly gift, that have shared in the Holy Spirit, have seen the goodness of the word, and yet have fallen away. They're not really believers. And so I just want you to understand, you need to examine your salvation. Be sure that it's real. Right? Be, be certain that you've truly accepted Jesus. Be, be sure that you're living for him. Be, be sure that you're pursuing godliness. Be sure that you are growing in your walk, growing in your faith. Because verse 8, pull up Hebrews 6, 8. Verse 8 is the real challenge here and the concern. But if it bears thorns and thistles, right? These are the people that never really believed. It's worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. And we all understand what that's referring to. There's this great warning in Scripture. Don't be the guy. Don't be the, the lady. Don't, don't be the person that has spent their entire life around the things of the Lord, maybe even in church, maybe even attending a Sunday school, sitting under the teaching of God's Word, seeing the power of the Lord. Don't be the person that has done that your whole life and has never truly repented of your sins and accepted Christ. There's a great warning here we need to be aware of. Now let's finish, verse 9. Though we speak in this way, right, he's going to come back now to the believers. Yet in your case, beloved, he's talking to Christians now, we feel sure of better things, right? So there's a warning, but then there's an encouragement here, right? Let's lift our spirits again, right? We, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to look your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do, verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Here's the third truth I want you to see this morning. We need to commit or recommit to the Lord. You need to either commit or recommit yourself to the Lord. Right? There, there's the warning of the people that have seen and heard but never truly accepted. But there's also the encouragement and the reminder of verse 11 that we can have full assurance of hope until the end in Christ. Right? Now some of y'all, some of us, maybe fall into this category a little bit. Maybe, maybe you've kind of gotten lazy over the years. Uh, maybe you've gotten busy. Maybe you've allowed sin uh, to creep in just a little bit into your life and you need to kind of be recommitted to the things of the Lord. You need to be reminded of his goodness. You need to change some things in your life so you can follow him on a regular basis. Again, maybe you need to recommit yourself. And then there are others of us this morning that have never truly tasted the goodness of the Lord. Maybe you've never truly repented of your sins and given your heart and your life to Jesus. I'm going to give you a chance here. In just a moment, we're going to do a time of invitation.
I'm going to give you a chance to do kind of a, a couple of different things here. You, you can recommit your life to Christ. You can do that on your own in your seat. You can come down here and pray. You can come talk to me about it. I'd love to tell you how to do it. If you say, I've never truly committed my life to Christ, and I'm going to be standing right down here, right down front. If you say, listen, I, I, I'm this person. I've kind of been in church my whole life. I've been in Sunday school. Uh, maybe I've, I've even been a leader in the church, but I've never truly repented of my sins. I've never given my life to Christ. i love to talk to you this morning about how to do that as well. And, and then I want to encourage you, as we've done over the last many weeks, if there's that one person, whoever that is, that you need to be sharing with, that you need to be talking with, that you need to be praying for. If you hadn't filled out the piece of paper, you can grab one and put it in the basket. I'm going to set it right down front. But maybe you need to come and, and pray for that person this morning. Pray that God would just reveal himself to them, that they would understand his power and his majesty and his goodness, and that we'd be able to convey the message of Christ to these people in a very clear and profound way, understanding, as we said every Sunday, there are a lot of great things in the world. But Jesus is greater. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for the greatness of Christ. We thank you for the salvation message, Lord, that you have uh, given to us. We thank you for this clear teaching in Scripture, for the warning, but also the encouragement and the reminder to grow in our faith. And so I pray for our time of invitation right now, Lord. I pray that you would just open the eyes of these people. I pray if there's someone here that needs to recommit their life to you, they would do it. If there's someone here that needs to commit their life to you for the first time, they would do it. Lord, just do great things in this time of invitation. May you receive honor and may you receive glory. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You can stand this time of invitation. The altar is open. You can speak to me. You can come pray. You respond as we sing together this morning.